Psalm number 8, the 8th Psalm, and I have a, kind of a devotional thought tonight, realising that right after this there's still some things happening, so I, I don't want to be uh, you know, too long up here tonight on Saturday night. It's good to hear you, that was a stirring song by the men, to, uh, I, have, I think I've heard them sing that before, but I was thinking as I was sitting there, I can remember... Uh, the first time, at least under you know my my watch, the first time the men ever sang at Good Shepherd Baptist Church, and I remember where we were, and I remember that item, and that was a it was a defining moment for our church. It was a defining moment, one I still remember, and the reason it was a defining moment for our church was that there was a perception in Australia, uh, it's probably still there. But there was a perception in Australia that religion was really for women and kids. And it was hard to, have a, to find a church where there were strong men, uh, where, where, where men were in the church and present and, and unashamed and willing to be counted. It was, it was hard to find that. So I remember that moment, that defining moment when the men sang and how I felt, oh, that's, that's significant now, it probably doesn't mean much to you in that it's fairly familiar now, but uh, that, was, that was very stirring tonight. It's important that the men in the church uh, are identified and are not ashamed of Christ. Uh, you know, the, 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 church, the, church is not, uh, the church is not something that uh, only belongs to women or children or the old, uh, but men need to be counted, and Australian men need to to not be ashamed to be identified for Christ. I'm glad that we have people in the church from the military. Uh, we've had people in, uh, you know, the police, and we've had people in lots of areas. We have, we have people who, you know, are men in every sense of that word, and they're not ashamed of Christ. And that's, that's, that's what a healthy church should always have, and Australia really needs that. There's a lot of misunderstanding outside about who we are, isn't there? People, people think we believe things that we don't, uh, they think that we have opinions about some things that, that really are not, not necessarily so. They really don't understand who we are. Uh, and they, so they try to categorise us. They try to put us in a box and they say, well, you must be this or you must be this. And really they don't know. But the best way to dispel that is for you to be a witness wherever you go, in your workplace, but get out there. You know, up until I went into the ministry... Every secular job I had, they missed me when I left. And that's, that, it should be that way, by the way. That's a good sign that if you leave and people were, were, were better for your presence there. And I don't, I, don't, I don't recall revival ever broke out in any of the workplaces where I, were, but, uh, where I was, but, it, but I left a testimony and, uh, and, uh, and I wasn't ashamed of Christ. And I think, I think that's really important. Uh, we're going to read in a moment just a couple of verses from the 8th Psalm and just think about something. Uh, I wonder how far you would go to reach one person. I wonder maybe to what lengths would you go to see one person one for Christ? Now, I'm sure if you could see many more than one one, you would like that. But I wonder how far you'd go for one. Yesterday, in our church in Nakonsawan, there was a man in our church who's been attending for quite a while. Uh, his wife and children have been attending the church. Uh, she, she, uh, she was a Christian 
and uh, he was a Buddhist, as uh, most uh, people in Thailand are. And uh, he sort of uh, occasionally dropped in, not much, uh, a few years ago, and then he disappeared, and he was just sort of gone. And, I mean, not just gone from dropping in the church, he was gone from the city. And uh, it turned out his, uh, his wife uh, shared with us, and he was, uh, he was quite wealthy, uh, that the, uh, the police, maybe the army as well, had, uh, had uh, you know, raided him on a particular night unexpectedly. Uh, maybe he was out of favour with someone that he'd been. That's typically how it works. Uh, but they raided him. They took everything he had, which was millions, uh, millions of baht. So we might say a couple of million dollars. Or, but, but they took everything he had. They went through his house. They took everything out. Uh, his gold Buddha statues, they took those as well. They took everything. And then they put him in jail. And, uh, and, and it wasn't drugs. And for his crime, uh, his sentence was a life sentence. And so his wife was sharing that with us. Uh, Thailand can be very rough and tumble. We deal with a lot of very gritty stuff over there. And so his wife was sharing that, you know, pray for my husband. And we were, we were a little shocked and, at, uh, at all of that. And, and, you know, we knew it had to be pretty high up for that level of uh, thing to happen. Well, he went to jail. And uh, jail in Thailand, jail anywhere is not a good place. Uh, jail in Thailand is particularly not a good place. And uh, so he went to jail. While he was in jail, uh, he met a man in the prison, uh, another Thai, but this, this Thai person uh, was from the mountains in the north of Thailand. So this person who'd lived in the mountains, where one of our men, James, comes from, uh, spoke his own mountain dialect but he could also speak Thai, but he couldn't write Thai. So somehow in the prison they found each other and a lot of the people in the mountains in the north of Thailand are, 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 are Christian. And so this man was a professing Christian, I don't know, so how did he get in jail, I don't know. Uh, but he was there and so the mountain man who could speak Thai but couldn't write it or read it connected up with this man who was the husband of the lady in our church and uh, somehow they became friends and the, uh, the, uh, the, the mountain man began to witness to the man from our church uh, or the, the husband of the lady from our church, not knowing that this man had ever been to church. And so he began to witness to him in a Thai prison and, uh, and he said to him, he said, I can't, I can't read Thai and I can't write Thai, would you teach me? I can speak it, but would you teach me? So they had some time on their hands and uh, the man uh, from the church, uh, he said, yeah, I'll teach you how to read and write Thai. And so for a few hours every day, he began to teach him how to read and write Thai. And the mountain man who could speak Thai but couldn't read or write, he began to witness to this man. He began to tell him about Jesus. And, uh, and, uh, and he began to pray with him every day. And, uh, and the man uh, who had uh, you know, visited our church, he said... Uh, he said, do you have a Bible? The mountain man said, well, I have a Bible in my dialect, but I don't have one in Thai. And they tried to get one in Thai and the authorities wouldn't allow one in. They're not allowed to have Bibles in there. So uh, how far would you go to reach someone? What would you do? Well, this is what this mountain man in the prison did. As he was being taught to read and write Thai, as he learned that, he began to write out in hand the New Testament. And he, began to, he wrote out 
with a pen and paper in the prison as he learned, verse by verse, he looked at his mountain Bible and then he took that and he began to write it in Thai and give it to the man uh, who was there. Uh, that man yesterday, we were in Nakhon Sawan, Joe was meeting with him to talk to him about Christ and Joe said, it seems he's already saved. He'd been attending church prior to my coming here. His wife was excited because she said, he listens to you. He doesn't go to sleep. And uh, so, so uh, she said, but he used to just go to sleep. So the mountain man, in, but with his, with his hand, wrote the entire New Testament to give to somebody else so they could get saved and know Christ. I wonder how far you'd go for one to, to reach one person. I'm sure when we get to heaven, there's going to be many stories of the amazing way that God reached one. I, I think you're going to hear some incredible stories. Uh, I remember the man who came to our church for just, uh, he'd been there two services, and then the very early days when we just started, maybe five, six years ago, about middle-aged man, then he came back to our church and he said, I can't come anymore. Uh, he said, this will be my last service. I can't come back anymore. He had wife, he had family. And uh, we said, oh, uh, okay, did something happen? He said, well, I didn't tell you. He said, but my, my thank you, that's probably enough. He said, I, did, I didn't tell you, uh, but my father uh, is mafia. Our father-in-law is mafia. He said, when I went home from church, there was a family gathering. And he pulled me over by the hair and he took a, a, a gun out of his coat and he pushed it in my mouth in front of the whole family. And he said to the whole family, if you ever go to church again, I'll kill you in front of this whole family. And uh, the man was choking on the gun. And uh, so when he told us that, we didn't say, we'll see you next week. We just said, oh, okay. Uh, well, I think we understand and we can pray about that. And uh, a little scary. Well, well about, about a month later, he turned up again. And, uh, and we, we were like, oh, uh, welcome, good morning, oh, you, you, you're back. What about your, uh, your, your father-in-law who's a uh, mafia? He said, you won't believe what happened. He said, uh, he said he was just coming down the stairs of the house and he just fell down dead in front of everyone. And the whole family was just... <gasps> There's amazing things that God does to get through to one person. We just don't hear about all those stories. I wonder how far you'd go to reach one. Uh, the 8th Psalm, verse number 3, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visited him. Now, you can read the whole psalm, but what is happening here is that uh, David, uh, I think, has been looking at the stars at night and pondering the vastness of the creation. It's hard to fathom. Uh, it's hard to fathom that every star we see is many, many times bigger than our sun. And, uh, and it's, it's just, just, and to know that there are millions and billions, it's, we can't even quantify that. And somehow David was looking up at all that and, 
And he said, when I, when I, when I consider that, when I, when I think of all that and, and, and all of the creation, uh, I wonder, uh, what, what is man that you would, you would care for us? We're so small. Uh, uh, by the way, th- there's not life on other planets. No one's going to find it. The only thing out there is a whole lot of demonic hell. That's what's out there. A whole lot of demons. That's their zone. That's what's out there. We were never, we were never supposed to go out there. Uh, our boundaries were set at the highest mountain. Uh, but uh, outside of there, there's, there's no other life. You don't need to be... You say, but there's all, all those... Up. That's just part of the narrative that will prepare people for what's going to come in the tribulation. There's nothing out there. Uh, this, this, this earth, the, the, this little blue planet that we're on, this is, what, this is what God made and put us on it. And there's not us or anything else anywhere else. The only other life out there is demonic. Uh, but, but, but it's just us. And it's an incredible thought that God, in all his vastness, and I can't comprehend the size of it. it just, it just, I can't comprehend it. And David was, was meditating on that and he just began to think, what is man? What are, what are we that God would desire us, that God would, would, would want us and would, would want to be with us? And it's, it's a good question. It's one we should, we should think about. I think it's regrettable that you probably don't see the stars very often. Uh, uh, it's kind of unique to our age of light and electricity uh, I don't even know there'll be electricity in the millennium. That's just my opinion. But, but, uh, but it's kind of unique to our age. We've, we've erased, as it were, the heavenly witness. Now, it's there, but we don't see it. And uh, what has happened in our day is that most people have immersed themselves uh, in a virtual world rather than the real world. And that's highly destructive uh, because it's an unreal world. Uh, every time I fly, which is too much, every time I fly, uh, you know, before we take off, uh, uh, you know, 80% of the cabin has already got the movie on and they don't so much as even glance outside they, and they will immerse themselves uh, in that screen, that little screen, they'll immerse themselves in that screen, uh, some of them right up till people are walking past them getting off. It's just, it's just, and it's, it's, it's an extraordinary thought to think that, that real people prefer to live in an imaginary world, an, un, an unreal world, where people they don't know pretend to be other people and live out a story that's not even true and, and they immerse themselves in that. And, and, and the problem with that is this, and kids, you know, we need to be careful is that when you immerse yourself in the virtual world, uh, you become affected by it. It starts to shape you. And you'll start to perceive... Your definition of normal will change according to what you've immersed yourself in. Uh, and, And the problem with the virtual world is this. People do things in the virtual world with relatively... They're mostly unaccountable for what they do. So they do things that are very extremes... You understand that? They're not, they're not held to account. They can do things, but the people who immerse themselves in that virtual world will not see that as a place of extremes and craziness. They'll think that that's normal. And that's shaped our culture. 
So our whole culture now has become shaped by what they're seeing, by the comments that people are making that they never would have made in the real world. They only make it because they're behind a screen. And it's highly damaging and it's all part of the collective process that's going on that's driving people away from the Lord and, and away from reality. But there's this great, there's great danger that's regrettable. We don't, we don't see the stars anymore and we don't contemplate that. Uh, about a month, uh, yeah, about a month ago, uh, the, uh, well, a couple, of, maybe say three months ago, uh, there was a man living in Bangkok, a Canadian, and he was married to a Thai lady. He'd been living there about nine years. Had a, had a massive home. He'd built a beautiful home on, the, uh, on the, one of the suburbs of Bangkok. Found out he had multiple homes, and he had, he had you know, four or five Lamborghinis and all these kind of things, and never seemed to have a job. And I often wonder how people like that uh, escape attention uh, why other people who are trying to do good things uh, get a lot of attention. Uh, I often wonder how that can just take place. But this man lived there for nine years, living that kind of life. Uh, he, he had, he had uh, you know, in excess of 100 million US dollars in multiple accounts. And how it all came crashing down was uh, the American government found out after they arrested the guy who started the Silk Road, which was a a dark space on the internet where people bought guns, drugs, people, all sorts of things. Uh, they went after this group. This was, he found out he was the administrator. He'd started uh, Alpha, I think it's Alpha Bay. Uh, they, they called it another dark internet thing where he was selling drugs, people, credit card numbers, all of that. Administering all of that out of a computer, making millions and millions of dollars seemingly untouched, able to live his life for years in Thailand, unaccosted, until the Americans arrived, did a deal with the Thais, and uh, they broke into his home when he wasn't expecting it, and, and perchance he happened to be logged in as the administrator, which gave them access to all the people and all the data. And so, so for 100 million plus dollars, uh, uh, multiple million dollar plus cars, uh, lavish homes, uh, huge condominiums on the seaside at Phuket, citizenship in three countries because of his financial position. Uh, here he was arrested, uh, put in a Thai prison cell while the Americans formalised his extradition to take him back to America where he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. It was all gone. Do you know what he did? The morning of his extradition, he was about to go. He said to someone, he could speak Thai. He said, what time is it? They said, it's seven o'clock in the morning. And went into his room and he hung himself there. A young Canadian, in his 30s, I believe he was. You know, people immerse themselves in unreal worlds without regard to the consequences, thinking they're unaccountable. And I just want to say tonight that don't you do that. Be careful what's shaping you. Be careful when you think everybody thinks that way, how you came to that conclusion. So David was outside. He wasn't <coughs> in the virtual world. He said, what is man? And he was pondering, why would God care about us? Why would, why would God, who, who has everything... Do you, you know, you can't add to God. You can't detract from God. God isn't missing anything. There's, there's nothing you can give to God that makes him bigger. There's nothing you can give to God where God can say he now has more than he had before. 
God is not deficient in any capacity. There's, there's nothing you can do. Uh, God, God doesn't need us. We certainly need him. Why is it that, that God would set his affection on us? And why do you say that tonight, Brother Shemish? Because missions is a focus on reaching people for Christ. Missions is a focus of, of carrying out the will of God in going to others in other places and preaching the gospel. And uh, it's the first reason that we ought to do it is because God would have us to do it. Now, sometimes if you're a missionary, you love the people you get to minister to. But sometimes, probably like any pastor in any local church, just give it long enough and uh, some of that love might start to diminish a little bit, at least in the way you feel. Just give it long enough and maybe your zeal to reach the people that came through you seeing the need of the people will, will just start to wane a little bit and diminish a little bit. And that's why the first reason that we should always do what we do is because it's the will of the Father. It's good that we help people. It's good that we do all of that. And it motivates me sometimes to uh, see the need. But the first reason is because it's the will of the Father. That's why you should give. That's why you should be in church. That's why you should, be, should, should put God first in your life. You know, I, I, I love the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross for me. And that's deeply moving to me that he would do that. But I must not forget the first reason that Jesus came and died on the cross was to be obedient to the Father. Uh, I'm certainly there, but, but he always spoke of it, the Father's will. He spoke of the Father, the Father. He said, I do always those things that please him. And so Jesus, your first reason for obedience uh, is because of the Father. Uh, after that, let people move you. Jesus was moved with compassion. But, but if you're reliant on being moved by people, at some point that's going to go. At some point you just get tired. At some point you just might get familiar. At some point you just might get over it. And if you're relying on that, that won't keep you in the saddle. That won't be enough for you. So the first reason is because it's, it's the will of the Father. Because, it, because when you do what you do, it's pleasing to the Father. That's why, and by the way, it was the Father who saved you. If you called to something, it was the Father who called you. I tell Joe that. Joe, I didn't call you. And I'm not accepting accountability for your call. Because I didn't call you. So if, you, if, you, if you've been selected by the Father, then that's the reason you should do what you do. And uh, keep doing that. Now, go to Genesis chapter 1. And uh, just uh, uh, don't have three points, four points, uh, nothing starts with the same letter or anything like that, but, but I, just, I just have a thought, just a thought. So uh, in Psalm 8, he said, what is man uh, that thou mindful of him? You know, why, why, God would you, why God would you care about us? Why would you care about people? By the way, there's a finite number of us. A finite number. What does that mean? Well, the, the, there was a first man, and you know his name, but there's going to be a last one as well. And eternity will, will look at the number of men, and it, it's already numbered, but I don't know what the number is. You understand? It's not, it's not just ongoing without end. There was a first. There was a time where there was none of us, and then there was a first, and we'll look at him in a moment. And then, and then all of us came thereafter, but there's going to be a last. And that's it. And God's not going to be making any more people. And then he'll, there'll be the number of humanity, which will be all the people 
that were ever made. And then out of that number will be a lesser number who walk with God, love God, want to be with him. And in that smaller number, God will have what he always wanted. What did he always want? He wanted people who wanted him. He wanted people who would love him like he loved them. But he wanted it to come from them. He didn't want a parrot to say, I love you, Jesus. He wanted a heart in a living, beating person who would genuinely offer up what they have to him. And God will have that in the end. Uh, The majority of people uh, will go down in uh, the measure of eternity as Christ rejectors. Don't doubt for a moment that the same drive that drove men to cry, crucify him, who had, Jesus who'd done no, no bad, only done good, the same people who murdered him that day would murder him again today if they could get their hands on him. Our world is full of God-haters. Our world is full of people, like the parable said, of those who, who said to the, the son of the master, we will not have this man reign over us. And we have a world today where, where hatred for God has probably never been stronger. Uh, there's a whole lot of people today that just love to kill him if they could. And that's what we're, that's what we're in. But in the end, God will have that number of people uh, who chose him and he chose them and they'll be together with him forever. And he'll have what he always wanted to have when he, when he, when he made the first man. That's, that's how it's going to play out. So if you're saved here tonight, if you're blessed that he got to you and you received him, you're part of a small number of human history who will spend forever with him uh, in heaven. Amen. And heaven's not just a, heaven's not just a, heaven's a city. It's called a city. It's a big place. I've seen some big cities in my my life. I think heaven will be bigger. And so we get to be there. Now, I want you to see, what is man? Why does God, why does God bother? Genesis chapter 1 I'll just point out something here. In verse number three, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Verse number six, And God said, uh, Let there be a firmament. In verse number nine, And God said, In verse number 11, And God said, Let the earth bring. And in verse number 14, And God said, Let there be. And verse number 20, And God said, And all of those, uh, And God said, You could also say, And it was. In other words, God spoke the creation into being. So that's the power of God. God, God. God just said, let there be this, and then there was. Okay, that's the power of the Word of God. That's the John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word, the Word, the Word is the very essence of God. God's Word and God are, 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 are together. That's why Jesus is called the Word. And all things were created by Him and through Him. So God spoke the creation into being. So all these things that we see, uh, God, God didn't uh, uh, come down and, as it were, uh, you know, do it by hand. He spoke them into being. Uh, but the exception to that, the exception to that is what he did with Adam. Now, he could have said, and, and, and let there be, and not do anything more, and it just would have been. There was no limitation 
to the power of God to, do, to create everything that way. But I, I want you to see something that is really, and I only really saw it a few months ago. Something that's very touching and something quite profound about how God cares about us and how, how, what he does with us. And you see it in the creation there. So everything God said, you know, let there be, let there be, let there be. But then you come to man in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, it says in uh, verse 7, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And I think it means just what it says. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So everything else God said, and let there be, and it was, and let there be, and it was, and let there be, and it was. He just spoke it, and it was. But then God had the earth, and God had all the creation, and God comes down and gets into the dirt of the earth. Now already I can just see the angels in heaven would just be like, what is this? What, what is this that you do? And he began to form the man out of the dust of the earth. And then having that form of the man that he made, it said that he, he breathed into him the breath of life. Do you ever have somebody breathe on you? It's a, it's a really, it's an invasion of personal space, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you know, you might have somebody in your life that you're okay with them breathing on you and you might be able to recall the day that you were going out and you bought a packet of mint so that when they smelt your breath, because you knew you were going to be that close, that, you know, you'd have minty breath and not doggy breath. <laughs> but there's something really personal about, you know, somebody breathing on you. Now, now you, you, we're not stretching anything here. He formed man out of the dust. And I'm amazed at that, that you'd do that. And he chose to do it that way. And then he, he breathed, he breathed eternity that was in him into man. And when he made us that day, when he made us that day, what we became, we became eternal. Everybody's eternal. It's just eternal where? Like a friend of mine said, you don't have to go to heaven. You don't have to go to hell, but you can't stay here. You've got to go somewhere. And uh, when God breathed into us, we became like him in the sense that we are tripart, but also that we live forever somewhere. And uh, he, breathed, he breathed into us the breath of life. Now, there's something very personal about that. There's something very, what is man? That's what man is, unique. Uh, uh, favoured of God, 
uh, uh, no wonder it enraged Lucifer to see that, uh, that God would condescend to, to, to do that. Now, I won't turn there, but, but in 2 Kings chapter 4, you have the account, you can read it another time, of Elisha, uh, Elisha uh, bringing a child back to life. So the child was dead. Now, Elisha did something, and the more I look at it, here's what I think, uh, you can read what Elisha did, but I think Elisha modelled himself on God. I think Elisha did the only thing he knew what to do because he tried other things. What Elisha did, he said, I'll be like God. And he stretched himself out across that dead boy. You can read it. And he, he got down and he breathes, he breathes into him. And I think he was modelling himself on what he knew that God had done. And uh, it worked. And the lesson there is this, God always blesses himself. So when you do what God does or when you, when you are like God, God blesses that. What does God bless? God blesses himself. So every part of you or your actions that are like God, that has the blessing on it. So that's why you want to be Christ-like, to be like Jesus. That's what God blesses. Giving is God-like. God blesses that. So Elisha stretched himself out on the child and he did what, what, what God did and, and, and God breathed into us uh, forever. He made us come alive. And nothing, no other creation was that way. You say, how do you think he felt? I'll tell you how I think he felt. You don't have to agree. I think God felt when he did that how you felt when you had your child. What you did, you brought forth something, that baby, you and your wife, you brought forth that child and you knew that that child was you, was, was you, was you, your wife, it was you. you, you that child is you. And you, you held that baby and you felt a connection and you felt a love. That baby was not capable of giving you back any love. The baby, the baby you, you could snuggle into the baby and, and you, you poured out your love upon that child, but that child was not able to pour anything back into you. But something drove you to do that. The, that connection that this is, this is ours, this is us, this is me. And you became very protective of that. And, and incredibly loving. And you found delight in taking your child and just having him with you or her and just, just cuddling that child. And why, why, why do we feel that way? Why, did, why does that come out of us? Because we made something, we created something that, that we knew was us and we felt, and that's what I think God felt. That's what I think he felt. And God feels and he made us to feel. And it was God's desire from that time that there would be a very special relationship between man and God. Now, it comes out in the scripture uh, a little further in, in the same passage because something happens here that, that, you know, is here, but not everybody picks up on it. Uh, God is mentioned many times 
in Genesis chapter 1. If you wanted to, you could go through with a pen, but it's as, and God, and God, and God, and God, and God said, and God. It's all the way through Genesis chapter 1. It goes on to chapter 2. But something happens when you get to chapter 2 and verse 7, there's a first. A Bible first takes place in chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Bible first in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 is that for the first time, God uses his name. It's the first time that God uses his personal name, Jehovah. Before that, it's just God, God, God. Now, the Thais get this even a little more than us because, uh, well, because of the language, their language is a little closer to the actual translation, so they see the, the turn of that. So in Genesis chapter 2, you'll read it, it says, in the Lord God, if you go back and look, that's the change where God's name is Jehovah. My name is Wayne. God's name is Jehovah. God is God, but God's name is Jehovah. And so, so what happened was God fashioned in the ground a man and then probably it was Jesus. We'll know one day, and God breathed, you know, breath to breath, mouth to mouth, God breathed into the man. And Adam, no doubt, awoke out of the soil, and I, you know. And what's the first thing you do when you want to have a relationship with someone? You say, my name is Wayne, how are you? G'day, Wayne, I'm Tom. Tom, pleased to meet you. It's the first thing you do when you indicate that you desire to have a relationship, a connection with someone, is you give them your name. So the two firsts here are this. God makes the man and God says, your name is Adam. God named the man Adam. And naming is personal. God never named the animals. So a name becomes personal. God said, you're Adam. I'm Jehovah. Very, very personal. Very personal. What's it saying? It's indicating, it's showing us what God wanted. God didn't make the man because he needed another gardener. God didn't make the man because he was short of some servants. He had all that already. God made the man because his desire was to know that man and for that man to know him. And he chose to manifest that after by spending time with, with them. It's an incredible thought. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Why, 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 why would you care? Would you agree with me that God feels very personal to us, though we be many in the room tonight? Would you, God has a voice to me. I could tell you who his voice sounds like. But when God speaks to me, I, I, it's very distinct. Now, sometimes I confuse it, and I've, I've had to pray about that, say, is this you, is this me? But, but many times it's very succinct and very clear. 
and, and, and God calls me by name. And the Bible says that in a coming day, God will give you a new name. You say, what does that mean? Well, I didn't really understand, but I, I got to the church, it was in Thailand, and James is in our church. James is from the mountain, but his tie is in our church. And James came up to me one day and he said, Pastor, can you name me, please? Now, he's 20-something. He said, can you, can, you, can you give me a name? And I said, you have a name. He goes, yeah, but, but, but I want you to name me. And I was looking around at the other people when he was saying that, and they were just going like... And he was looking at me. So what name? You name me. And, and I looked, I said, is, is he wanting me to... And they're like... And everybody understood there that in doing that, you're not just giving a name is to bestow an affection on someone. It's to connect them and you together. It's lasting their whole life. They change, change their name to that. And, 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 he, and, you, and you get... A, he was looking for a new name from me to, to bring us into sync for his whole life. You say, what did you call him? I haven't called him anything yet. I'm still thinking about it. He still keeps asking. But I just haven't had a piece what to, what to do. Uh, but, but, but you'll get a new name one day, the Bible says. That'll be part of God connecting with you again. I don't know what your new name will be. It might have something to do with... It'll probably mean something. So I'm just saying, and, and this is really the thought... Why, why do we sacrifice? Why do we suffer? Yeah, we could probably find easier things to do. We probably could find other options if we wanted to. Why, why do we do it all? Why do we, why do we labour? Why do we weep? Why do we suffer? Why do we spend life, time, resources to reach people, to reach people? Why do we travel to places unknown with peoples we don't know in a culture we never grew up in to be amongst people knowing that we'll never be accepted as one of them? We we'll always will be the, the, the foreigner, the white face, or whatever, Thailand, the Farang. Why do you do all that? Because the father has a great desire to know people and he wants them to know him. And just like he came to us and got us, he wants to do that for other people. And that's why we have to do what we do. What, what is man? There's no answer there, but what is man? Favoured? Special? Unique? that God would set his affection on us, but he does. Missions, missions is important, and it's something we need to be faithful to up until we're not here anymore. Uh, uh, we, we just need to keep going and keep doing. When, you, when you're reaching people for Christ and you're reaching people for the Lord, 
you're an instrument in reconnecting that up that was lost through sin. Somebody told you the gospel. You know how pleased it is? Uh, the angels rejoice in heaven when a sinner gets saved, not because you have something to put in your prayer letter, but because they know how pleased the Father is that another one came home. That's why they rejoice. And that's why you should rejoice too because when somebody gets saved and when somebody comes to Christ, you've gifted the Father something special. You've gifted him something that is something that he's truly desired. All right? Amen. God bless you.